We live at a time of great pressure, and I wonder where you find the greatest pressure right now. I wonder where you find the greatest stress. Maybe it's stuff happening around us in the world. It's very hard not to watch the news and the pandemic and Afghanistan and all the stuff going on and not feel pressure. And as well as all the pressure out there, there's, there's pressure within us. I wonder where you find pressure, just in your daily life. Maybe you're like me and you find pressure in traffic. Some of you are really good timekeepers, and I've noticed that if I meet you, I know that you will be there five minutes before the time, and some of you are the, not so much like that. Some of you will leave at five minutes before the time I'm due to meet you, and then you get stuck behind a traffic, but behind, behind a tractor or behind an L driver, and you start using language that isn't in the King James Version, and you, you arrive there. I, I, I get stressed when I'm behind a tractor. I, I have to be honest, I have been known to uh, say nasty things about tractor drivers in rush hour. Maybe it's when there's tension and friction in a relationship. Maybe you don't handle conflict well and that causes you a lot of stress. Maybe it's in work. Maybe there's a deadline approaching. Maybe it's in college and you have to have an assignment. And, or maybe it's around exam time. Maybe it's when the kids are acting up and they're back to school this week. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. May they never be off again or for homeschooled ever again in Jesus' name. Maybe... Um, it's when you're making difficult decisions. Maybe it's when people are pressurizing you to make decisions. It's strange the things that, that cause us stress. You know, what would stress you wouldn't stress me and, and vice versa. Like I, I, I tend to, big stressful things I tend to be fine with. Like when our little boy, when we lived in Port Stewart, closed his finger in a door and it was hanging off by a thread. I, I, I was calm. I, it's strange in that situation I'm calm, but then other little things will really stress me. Things that seem much more minor than that. Do you know what one of the things that stresses me most? Airports. Not that I've had the chance to be in one in about two years. And it's not just like airports generally. It's a very specific bit of airports. Airport security. Anybody else get stressed at airport security? Like, I, I don't know what it is. And like I said, I haven't been there in a while, but we were, I know some of you think we only read Bible stories to our little eight-year-old, but we've gone through all 15 volumes of Daria for Wimpy Kid recently. And in, in one of them recently, the, the, the Wimpy Kid family, the, the uh, Hefleys, were, were, were going on, on holidays. And in great detail, they were describing the airport security. And I actually found myself starting to sweat like, a, like I was a Peruvian drug mule called Michaela or something like that. Uh, as I was reading it, it just it brought back all of the, those memories of just, I don't know what it is because you get through and you've checked in your bags and then you saunter up the escalator and then you're faced with this room and it's always jammed. It's always packed and there's lines going like this and you don't know and you want to get into the right one and you're trying to count the people at each you know, x-ray machine and then you pick one and then the guy in the security outfit who has just way too much authority just decides to put you in a completely different line and then you're getting there and then this family of 14 run in who are running late for their flight and they go, excuse me, would you mind if we let them in in front of you so you don't miss their flight and begrudgingly you let them in? But they also don't understand the whole idea of taking off metal. And so like they're like, do I take off my metal necklace? Yes, yes, take everything within reason off. And then you get there and there's never any trays. There's never any trays. And then the trays slowly start coming 
down, you put your bag in a tray, and then you realize you have a laptop in your bag, and you have to put that in a different tray. Then you've realized you have an iPad in your bag, and you have more technology than Apple computers, and you're going on holidays, and you're putting it through the machine, and then you don't know, do I take my shoes off? I don't know anymore. Do you take your shoes off? I mean, figured that. It's like they flip a coin, and they go, shoes off or shoes on. It used to be you all took your shoes off. Now they kind of look at your shoes, and I don't know whether they're judging your shoes or what they're doing, but like you've got one person in front of you with the same pair of shoes, and they have to take them off, and you have to keep them on, and if they saw my feet, they probably would ask me to keep them on, and then, and then you're putting your stuff in the tray, and, and then you're going through the, the thing, the, 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 the scanner, and you're praying for dear life that it doesn't go off, and with my lovely, beautiful wife, 99.9% .9 of the time, that thing goes off. I don't know if she's got a metal leg or what <laughs> it is, but 99, true, true story. There's always something, you know, like, like some little earring or some, I don't know, like all her metal teeth. I, I don't know what it is, but she, it always goes off. And then you get to the other side and your bag has gone through the x-ray and they call you over and they say, excuse me, sir, is this your bag? And you say, yeah. And they say, would you mind if we go through it? And you're panicking and thinking, what did I put in that bag? What is in there? What has been in there for three years that I've forgotten this in there? And it, and they start hooking through it all and then you move and they say, okay, you can go now and you go back over to the table and you start to put on your belt and you start to put on your shoes and, you, and then they go, excuse me, sir, is this your iPad? And you go, yeah, and you forgot your iPad. I just find the whole thing incredibly stressful. And here's what I realized recently. What is straight after the security line? Duty free. That is strategic. Because you know what? Even if you don't drink and smoke, by the time you get through there, you're like, I'll have a bottle of Bush Mills and 200 Marlboro Lights, please, because I just need that. And you're sweating so much. So what do you go? You go and spray 14 aftershaves on yourself that the whole way through the flight you are right. It's just, I find it stressful. I find it really stressful. Some of you, that wouldn't cause a problem. But let me ask you, how many of you want to do this? How many of you would love to be up here week on week giving 20-minute sermon every week? The visitors here don't find that funny. Um, you know, things that stress you don't stress me and things that stress me don't stress you because we all have our pressure points. We all have those things that we find stressful. We all face it. There's been a lot of pressure over the last wee while. We've all faced it in so many ways. And our instinct is to avoid pressure because too much pressure can crush us. Our instinct is to try and get away from pressure. Or sometimes when pressure comes, we try to relieve that pressure in certain ways because we don't want difficulties and demands and tensions and burdens, and that's good. But I've also come to this conclusion that pressure isn't always bad. In fact, there's times when we need some pressure in our lives. In fact, there's times when God will bring pressure into our lives or he will permit pressure into our lives because that pressure has a purpose. And that's the title of my message today. The pressure has a purpose. Sometimes God will allow pressure into our lives because the pressure has a greater purpose. And what I want to do is look at three different things Three different pressures, three different things that God does through pressure. I had five, but I've narrowed it down to three. You're welcome. And uh, I, we sang today that God works all things for good and glory, our good and his glory. And even the pressure, even if he doesn't send it, he works it for our good and for his glory. And so by the end of this, what I want us to do is this, to come to the place of 
Whenever we face pressure, instead of always just running, I want us to ask ourselves, what might this pressure be pointing to? What might God want to do through this pressure? What might this pressure be pointing to in my life? And so three purposes pressure might have in our lives. Number one, pressure presses us deeper into God. Pressure can press us deeper into God. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I kind of think of a guy who's almost like a bit of a robot. You know, he just, he seems like a machine. He, he's not an overly emotional guy. He travels around the world and he preaches the gospel. And he's very cerebral. He's very intellectual. He's been trained in the Jewish faith. And I don't find him overly warm. You ever meet some people like that? You're like, they're not that warm. And yet in 2 Corinthians, we see Paul's heart. We see we see beneath the surface, we see a guy who starts to express his emotions and vulnerabilities, and he begins to open up to this church in Corinth. And look at what he says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. That's not like China. That is Turkey. That's Ephesus uh, that we read about the book of Ephesians. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Even we felt as if we had received the sentence of death. We'll leave it there for a second. So Paul says, I, do, I want you to know we were under pressure. And they know that there were certain pressures he had faced in Ephesus because in Acts we read about a riot. Uh, they tried to lynch him. But that's not what he's talking about because they all know about that. It's strange. He says, I do want you to be uninformed, but then he doesn't actually tell them what it is that he's facing. Because I think there's certain pressures in our lives that are public and some that are private. There's the pressures in your life that everyone sees. If you go into hospital, if you're sick, if you're uh, you know, on crutches or, or, or if you lose your job or if you lose your home, there's, there's the public pressures that people see, but then there's the, the private pressures. There's the pressures at home that people don't see. There's the pressures maybe financially that you don't tell anyone about. There's the pressures in relationships and your marriage that, that nobody sees. There's the pressures out there and then there's the, there's the, the, the pressures that are, are private. And here's what I've discovered, that, that, that the greater the pressure, the smaller the circle. And that's a good principle in life. The greater the pressure, the smaller the circle. When you're going through a big pressure, you don't need 500 people to know about it. You need three or four faithful friends around you. Jesus, remember, he's going to Gethsemane. He's got 11 disciples because Judas is off doing his thing at this stage. And he says to eight of them, you go over there, and Peter, James, and John, you're coming in with me. And the other eight must have felt, but why can't... No, at this moment of pressure, I need these three. And there's certain times of pressure that we need to actually pull in those who are closest, those who we can depend on, those who have proven themselves faithful and reliable and loyal, those whom we can trust to share the secrets of our hearts with, because you cannot do that with everyone. There's the pressures that are public and there's the pressures that are private. And Paul doesn't tell us what the pressure is, but he says we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, verses 8 and 9, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I don't know what this was. Paul had been through a lot. Paul was not some wuss. Paul was not some wishy-washy guy. Paul was a tough guy. He'd been through beatings. He had been through three shipwrecks. He had been stoned. He had been put in prison. This was a tough guy. And yet he says that this pressure... This pressure that he was under made him despair of life. He thought he'd received the sentence of death. That was so intense and so immense that he wasn't sure if he would get through it. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been in a place of pressure where you're actually not sure if you're going to make it through? Emotional pressure can be like that. Physical pressure, illness, sickness in your body where you're thinking, I am not sure if I can make it through. And actually, you know what? I'm not even sure if I want to make it through because right now death feels like a relief. Paul actually says that here. We despaired of life itself. I have felt under great pressure at times. I don't think I have felt under pressure like this. But look at verse 9. But this happened. In other words, there was a purpose. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And I look at the Apostle Paul and I think, Paul, you relied on God all the time. Everything he did was in dependence on God. And yet Paul recognized that when pressure came, it pushed him into a deeper dependence on God that he had never experienced before. And some of you know what that is like. Because we stand here and we sing the songs and we hear the word and we pray and we go through the motions and we go through our daily life and we say we believe certain things, but when pressure comes, when pressure comes, it pushes us towards Christ. It pushes us into a deeper relationship with Christ. When your husband or your wife has had a diagnosis, it pushes you into a prayer like you have never prayed before. When you have a baby in your womb and there's something not quite right and they're not sure, that pushes you into a place of prayer like you have never prayed before. Sometimes God will permit pressure into our lives because he is, pro- he is pressing us closer into him. In 1 Samuel 30, I've been reading it a number of times this week. David is in between being anointed king and being appointed king, and he's got this gang of mighty men around him. These warriors. This is actually just 12 days before he becomes king. Saul's still king at this stage. And David and his mighty men go off and fight a battle, and they come back to their place, their hometown called Ziklag. And when they get back, the place has been burnt to the ground. The Midianites have come in and they've burnt the place to the ground, but they haven't killed the wives and children. They've taken them off as captives. And look at what 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 we read in verse four. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. That's what I'm talking about. Where you've cried so many tears that there's actually nothing else. Where you're heaving and there's nothing else coming out. This is David. This is the mighty man who killed Goliath. He's cried so much that there's nothing left. He's so distraught. He's so overwhelmed. He's so devastated. Even though his guys who he has invested his life into talk about stoning him to death. Look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. These people who he has poured himself into. These people who met him in the cave. The people who were in debt and distress. and These, 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 these rogues. He has poured his life and he's made them an army. But as soon as this pressure comes, they turn against him. Because it says each one was better in spirit because of their sons and daughters. But look at what it says. Look at what it says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Other translation says David strengthened himself in the Lord. When everything around him crumbled, when everyone around him turned against him, there was only one place that he could turn, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. 
Can I say to you, he was only able to do that because he had built up history with God up to that point. When he was in the pasture field, when he was in the sheep field, playing his harp and worshiping and fighting off the land and bear, he had built up history with God. And can I encourage you that if you don't build up history with God in the good times, when it gets to the bad times, you will not be able to strengthen yourself in the Lord. David strengthened him. He drew on all of the resources that he had deposited in the past when he didn't need them, so that when he did need them, he was able to. And I'd love to read it all. He recovers everything that is lost and more. Sometimes the pressure in our lives has a purpose of pressing us into God because all of us, when life is good, we tend to go into cruise control. We pray, we worship, we do that. But sometimes God would want to draw us near. And he doesn't always send the pressure, but he will use the pressure. And the purpose of the pressure is to press us into God. That's number one. Number two, pressure shows what's inside us. Pressure shows what's inside us. If you had met me 40 years, 30 years ago as a 16-year-old boy, you would have found a, a boy who would never have imagined doing this. A boy who used to stand at the front like this when he was asked to read in class. A boy who would get so nervous reading the Bible in school that he would, the words would become blurry on the page. And I was on, happened to be on the committee in SU. I'd only been a Christian for a year or two at the time and put it on college. And a speaker dropped out and we couldn't get a speaker then in time because it was too short notice. And for some reason, I said I would step up and do it. And I remember I'd read this Christian magazine called Christianity. And there was an article on temptation. I still remember there was a picture of a red apple with a snake around it. And I literally got up and read the article. But from that day forward, it, the pressure of having to do that started to push something out of me. Started to draw something. Out. And sometimes God has deposited things within you that you have no idea that are there. Some things that are even dormant in your life and they only come out under pressure. That's why we bury seeds in soil. The pressure of the soil pushes out what's inside it. The seed cracks. You see, some of you think things are buried, but they're actually you're just planted in your life. And God wants the pressure to bring those things to grow. You see, we look at people and we make assumptions about them, don't we? Like every single one of us make assumptions by how people look how they talk, by how they present themselves, by how they dress, by what they do, by their social media, Facebook, Instagram posts. And we go, they're confident, they're secure, they're full of faith. And then other people, we go, they're probably struggling there. And you know what? It's only when pressure comes that we actually realize what's actually beneath the surface. From the years of 16, 17 to 18, for three years, I worked in Dunn's supermarket and poured it down part-time at the weekends. And this was so long ago that they didn't even open on a Sunday. That tells you how long ago it was. That I worked Friday night and Saturday. And uh, we would finish at 6 o'clock on a Saturday, and at 5 o'clock, the manager, Mr. McConville, would come around. He'd say, lads, time to start facing off. And for those of you who are not familiar with supermarket uh, vocabulary, that meant that you, as the day had went on, the stock on the shelves had been depleted, and so what you did is you pulled the stock from the back to the front. The jam jars, you pulled to the front. The cornflakes, you pulled to the front. You know, all the stuff on the shelves, you pulled to the front. So that when people came into the shop at nine o'clock on Monday morning, it looked like all the shelves were full. 
And that was wonderful until at 10 to 6, inevitably a woman would come in with a, with a trolley and a toddler. And the toddler would take great delight in going up and down every aisle and knocking everything flying because there was nothing behind it to support it. It was shallow. It was superficial. It was a facade. And sometimes I have seen people in their lives and I go, they are so full of faith. They are so strong. But what I've discovered is the slightest thing, there's nothing behind it. And they crumble and they fall apart with the slightest pressure applied. Because they look good on the surface, but that's all it is. And then I've seen other people who, if I'm being really honest in ministry, I thought they probably haven't got great faith. And they have gone through hell. They've gone through things that I would never want to go through. And they have flourished. And they have drawn strength from God. And they have a testimony from their test. And they have a testimony from their trial. And they have persevered and they have come through it so strong. You don't know. Pressure tests what's inside you. Pressure tests what's inside you. We see that again with David, don't we? For Samuel 17, we all know what the Philistines are gathered against the Israelites and the Israelites are dressed in armor and they look good and tall Saul is the king and they're so impressive and they're ready for battle and they've got their weapons. The only problem is there's a giant called Goliath. And look at what we read for Samuel 17, 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In other words, on the surface, they looked strong and ready for battle, but inside they had no faith and no courage. And then a little teenage boy called David, a boy who's been in obscurity in the field looking after his dad, stinking sheep and playing the harp. He comes to deliver cheese sandwiches to his brothers and he hears the taunts of Goliath and he says, I will take him. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David might have been small in stature. He might have been young in years, but he was bigger than his body gave him credit for. He was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. Why? Because he had built up history with God in the pasture field and now he was taking it to the battlefield. He had sang songs to God and worshipped to God when nobody was looking. And so when he came into the place where everyone was looking, he had a strength and resilience in God that they didn't have. He had fought the lion and the bear in private and so he could fight the giant in public. Pressure shows what's within us. We're all like tubes of toothpaste. When we're squeezed, what's inside comes out. You know, it's really easy to have convictions. It's really easy to say, I believe this about God. I believe this about life. I believe this about sexuality, whatever that is. Until that conviction costs you something. Until there is a pressure and that pressure is happening in our world and it is intensifying. This world is trying to make you believe something different than this book teaches. And it is really easy in here and in your home to say, I have a conviction, but maybe it's just a convenience because you're comfortable. Because until there is pressure applied on that conviction, you have no idea if it's actually a conviction or just a convenience. It's easy to stand at the front of a church and say to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for until there is pressure applied to that marriage. And you start thinking, I might be happier with somebody else. It's easier to say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice until you feel the pressure of that or until it becomes an inconvenience. And then you think, I'll just take a day or week off or two weeks off. Or I'll step back for a while. Pressure tests our commitment. 
pressure tests our resolve. It tests our convictions. It tests our motives. And we need things tested in our lives. A while ago, Becky was in getting her hair done and the girl who cut her, who was doing Becky's hair, her brother has a barber's next door and I was in there getting, it just so happened. It's not like we have hair days together. Um, you know, let's coordinate our hair days. It just so, just so happened um, that I was in with, with Gerald, her, her, the hairdresser's brother next door and I had done, got a fantastic job done and uh, Becky was obviously going to be there much longer than me. Um, and so I came out and I thought, oh, I'll pop in and, and, and see, see Becky and I went in there and she's sitting there with all the whatever it is and there's a little table there that looks, you know, and I go to sit on the table to talk to her and the thing just completely collapses under the weight of me. And I, I try to look, I mean, we all try to look cool at that point, but we're laying on the floor and there is a table and four bits underneath me. It looked sturdy, but it wasn't sturdy and I went out and got my screwdriver and fixed it for her because that's what I do. Um, but... But it looked sturdy, it looked solid, but until that eight stone of pressure went on it. Now, come on, guys. Come on, you'll be making me have a, a, a disorder. Um, until that nine stone of pressure went on it, we didn't know how much it could take. And sometimes it's the pressure on us that shows us how much capacity we have, how much we can take, how much we can carry. And sometimes God will put pressure on us because he wants to promote us. He wants to progress us. He has something new for us. And very often at significant transition points in our lives, we will encounter pressure because it's almost like an exam. God is saying, are you ready to pass to go to the next stage? Or do I need to keep you here and build you for a while? Very often at significant points in your life, you will face significant pressure. And it's how you respond to that pressure that will determine what you do next. And I'm glad there's pressure. I'm glad that when I drive over a new bridge that it has gone under some pressure. And if you've ever been for surgery, imagine the surgeon goes, scalpel, and he gets a scalpel and he's like, and you go, are you all right? He's like, yeah, I just don't handle pressure well. And you're like, I'll find somebody else. I am, we need pressure because pressure tests us. Pressure proves us. Pressure brings out what's within us. So pressure presses us closer to God. Pressure pulls out what God has put within us. And pressure finally, as I finish up here, pushes us out of our comfort zone. Can I tell you, I never wanted to do online church. People asked me over a number of years, would you ever live stream this service? And I said, no, I don't do that. It's not my thing. I want people in the building. And then 2020 came and the pressure of a pandemic made us do things that we hadn't chosen to do before. And now I'm so glad we've done it. We've been able to reach thousands of people that we wouldn't have reached otherwise. We have a wonderful congregation out there and a wonderful congregation in here. But it took pressure to push me out of the comfort zone that I had got stuck in, that I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't have happened without the pressure. And we all get into ruts, don't we? You see, here's this, we've, we all have this weird dichotomy. We don't want to be bored, but we don't want too much unpredictability. Like, I don't want to be bored in life, but I don't want too much change. And so we resist change. We go, I don't want boredom. I want just enough excitement in my life from the new show on Netflix just to, so I'm not bored, 
but I don't want to change. I don't want to do something new. I don't want to relocate. I don't want to try something different. I, I, in work, in relationships, in church, we get comfortable and complacent and we like things how things are. But sometimes God has more for us than we're seeing or experiencing right now. In fact, I would say often as God for more, has more. More challenges, more opportunities, new growth, new people to reach, new gifts that he wants to bring out of you. New resources, responsibility, influence, impact. And we like all of that, but we also like where we are right now. We want more. We want to grow. But it's like going to the gym. You want muscles. You just don't want to lift weights. You don't want the resistance, but you want the results. And a lot of us are like that. And God says, no, you can't have both. If you want the results, you've got to have the resistance. And I'm feeling this right now, even in this church. Because we're having the gift day and we're believing for a bigger building. And part of me really wants a bigger building because I know that God has called us to be a light on a hill in Craigavon, a resource, a refuge, a place of hope in the midst of darkness, a place of life pointing to Christ. I know that he has called us. But can I be honest? I like this. I like this. This is nice, isn't it? This, you know, this was booked out. Our first service was near booked out. We've got kids going on. We've got new youth building. You know, all of this is nice. And you know what? I go, a new building and more people just means more pressure. And there's this temptation within me just to go, let's just keep it like this. You know, you and me, come back, you know, bind us together, Lord, and don't let anyone else come in. You know, there is this, and yet, and yet, I know God's heart is for more. I know God's heart is to reach the thousands of people who live within 10 miles of this church who have never understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and rose again and that they can have hope. That he wants to touch the hearts of the people who have woken up this morning and they're broken and they're lost and they're lonely and they're depressed and they're dismayed and they go, is there anywhere to turn? And that doesn't happen just keeping this as this is as much as I would love to keep this as it is. It just doesn't. Where do we put them? And so I have this tension of wanting to stay comfortable but also wanting to push into the more that God has for me. And you will have that too. And that is okay. As long as you don't stay contained by comfort. Because here's what happens. If you stay contained by comfort, God will send pressure or he will permit pressure to push you out of that comfort. <laughs> a friend of mine were chatting recently and we had um, somebody we mutually knew who was in a position of responsibility and it wasn't working out. And their management, the people over him called him in and said, look, it's clear that this isn't working out. And so we can do this the easy way or the hard way. You can walk or you can be pushed, essentially. And he, he chose to walk. And I think sometimes God would say, you know what? You know, Deuteronomy 1.6 says you've been in this place long enough. God would say to you, this isn't working out here anymore. It used to work out, but it's not working anymore for you or for the people. So here, we can do this the easy way. You can walk and go where I want you to, or we can do it the hard way where I can push you. And we see this in Scripture. We see this in the book of Acts. Acts 1, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He calls the disciples around him and he gives them a final commission. We're nearly done. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're going to start here, but very quickly you're going to spread out and bring the gospel to other places and other regions and other territories and other peoples. That's pretty clear. And the disciples are, yes, Jesus, no problem, we will do that. Okay, that seems great. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When we get to Acts chapter 8, do you know where they still are? Jerusalem. They haven't left the holy city. Why? Because they know it. Because it's comfortable. Because it's familiar. Because it's the center of religious life. Because it's where they have memories of Jesus and there's a kind of a a reminiscence, a, a, a nice feelings when they're there. But Jesus didn't call them to stay in Jerusalem. And look at what we read in Acts 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout where? Judea and Samaria. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And they weren't willing to leave Jerusalem, and so God allows pressure to come in the form of persecution that pushes them out into the places that they're meant to go. And I have discovered that in my life. That very often if God wants me to do something and I'm not willing to do it, he will just start to exert pressure. Where the discomfort of remaining where I am it becomes greater than the discomfort of changing. You see, what I've found is that with privilege comes pressure. And we want the privilege, but we do want the pressure. With privilege comes pressure. With the privilege of being married comes pressure. With the privilege of having kids comes pressure. With the privilege of a promotion and work comes pressure. Many of the things that we pray for, if we understood the pressure that comes with them, I'm not sure why we would pray for them. But God would say to us, if you want the privilege, you've got to be able to handle the pressure. If you want the position and the promotion and the place, you've got to be able to handle the pressure. And very often I think God would say, I have more for you. I have more responsibility. I've got a new position. I've got a new place for you. And you go, I don't want the pressure. I don't want the pressure. And God says, no, I, I want you to go here. Because here's the thing, his mission is more important than my comfort. My holiness is more important than my happiness. My character is more important than my convenience. And God would say, I want you to move. I want you to do this new thing. I want you to step up. I want you to step in. And if you won't do it, will start to come. Maybe in work, you're in a job and you know you're capable of so much more and you hate the job and you dread every Monday morning, but you know what? It's a solid paycheck, but you know God wants to move you on, but it's a solid paycheck and you're a responsible person and and so you stay where you are and so this new boss comes in or this new colleague comes in and they're nasty, 
slobber, and, uh, and suddenly there's pressure. There's pressure. That place isn't as comfortable anymore. There's a relationship that isn't good for you, it isn't healthy, but you've got stuck in it, and suddenly pressure starts to come in. Pressure starts to come in. God will do whatever it takes to get you where he wants you to be. And like that person I spoke about, God would say to you, sometimes you can do this the easy way, you can do it the hard way, but either way you're going to get there. Will you walk or will you be pushed? I would much rather you would walk. And for some of you right now, there's pressure coming into certain situations in your life and you're not sure why it's happening. And I want you to maybe start thinking, does that pressure have a purpose? Could God be redirecting me? You see, the disciples here were persecuted before they moved on to the places. And sometimes people's rejection is actually God's redirection. Sometimes when your resources dry up, it's God's redirection. The pressure that we try to avoid actually has a purpose and God is trying to move us on. Just as I finish, we experienced this in our own life. Five years ago, we were leading a church that had grown, that God's blessing had been on, that we had seen hundreds of people come to faith in. And uh, we run a really good place in many ways. Becky had the job she'd wanted for four years at that stage. Elijah was doing well. I had seven staff. Everything was going really well. The church had gone from maybe 70, 80 to over 300. And we were just, it was just, everything was solid. Everything was financially secure. We were in our, a lovely home that we loved. And we were, you know, we could walk to Grafton Street from our house in Dublin. It was just, it was just this nice life. And we began to feel like God was moving us on, but the thing was that he wasn't showing us where he was moving us on to. And if any of you have read my book on transition, available on amazon.co.uk, um, <laughs> shameless, um, you'll know that I had a vision, and I'm not somebody who has a lot of visions. In fact, that's probably the most vivid vision I've ever had, where God spoke to me and he says, basically the gist of the vision was, I need you to move, but I'm not telling you what's on the other side. You need to move by faith. And we had a sabbatical plan for four months. So we'd been on a five-year contract. The five-year contract was up. We were due to take a sabbatical for four months. We had people moving into our house for the four months. And then we were due to come back and sign a new contract and stay. And yet God was saying, I want you to move on. But I am a responsible husband and a responsible father. And I wasn't going to move on without somewhere to move on to. As a husband and as a provider, I was not going to take that chance. And why would I? Because I had the comfort of going on a sabbatical for four months and coming home to a job and a house and everything that we had before. And I think they were even going to keep Becky's job for her for the four months. And yet God was telling us, you need to move on. You need to move on. Your time here is up. And I didn't want to do it. And within about a month of our sabbatical starting, without going into much detail, because there's not... Things happened that we would never have foreseen. And relationships, things happened. And conversations, things happened. And certain things happened behind the scenes that we would never have chosen or wanted and which caused deep hurt. 
But those things were the pressure that made us look at each other one night and go, we're done here. God has just, we, we're not coming back here. And we love the people there dearly, and it was messy, but just the pressure made us make a decision that quite honestly I had been unwilling to make because I didn't want the risk on the other side. And sometimes, some of you need to hear this, sometimes things have to end messier than you would like, otherwise you would never leave where you are. We all like things to be tidy and pleasant and all of that. Sometimes things have to end messy for you to move on from where you are. And I look back now five years later, and can I say I am beyond grateful for that pressure. At the time, I hated it. At the time, it was hard. At the time, it was heartbreaking. But I look back at that pressure five years ago, and I'm thankful for the pressure and the people who brought that pressure. Because actually, the hand of God was behind that pressure. And the last five years, we have experienced more of God and more blessing and more favor and new things that we would never have experienced if we had stayed comfortable. And some of you right now, God is moving you. Maybe he's moving you geographically. Maybe he's moving you into a new job. Maybe he's moving you out of something. Maybe he's asking you to step and you're feeling the pressure and your natural tendency is to resist the pressure and God would say, why don't you ask what's the pressure pointing Why don't you look beyond the person or behind on the circumstance and maybe, maybe my hand is behind the pressure. And maybe that pressure is to push you closer to him. Maybe that pressure is to pull out a few stuff that he has put within you. Or maybe that pressure is to get you out of the comfort zone. But what I want you to do today and what I want you to leave here with and what I want you to understand watching online is that when you feel pressure instead of running for it, from it, why don't you ask God, what's this pressure meant to do in my life? What are you doing with this pressure? Lord, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice. Lord, some people will very much have resonated with what I've said right now. It will have spoken to their situation and they will know exactly what they need to do. I pray for courage to do it. I pray, Lord, that you would give them faith to do it. And, Lord, that you would confirm this word, that there wouldn't be a recklessness in decisions. But, Lord, that you would confirm this word. And, Lord, that you would show them that this pressure they're feeling has a purpose. Lord, that you would draw out of us what you've put within us, that you would draw us closer to you, and, Lord, that you would move us out of comfortable places that are no longer the place for us to stay. And so we give you glory and honor and praise. Amen.